Thank you so much for joining us for the podcast of Centerpoint Church. In this series called Imperfect Heroes, we take a look at the book of Judges to see how a faithful God never gives up on unfaithful people. Let's jump into the message. So we're starting a brand new series today. If it's your first time, you picked a great time to be here. It's called Imperfect Heroes. We're going to be going through the book of Judges. And a lot of times you don't hear a whole lot preached on the book of Judges, maybe just intermittently here and there, or you've probably heard a, a story of, of Samson before. And, and, and we're going to be going through it. Now we're going to be going through it verse by verse because that would take a while. But we're going to hit the highlights. So today is really just kind of a setup. It's a 30,000-foot view of the book of Judges. And then let me tell you about the book of Judges. So you have the first five books of the Old Testament, also known as the Law, also known as the Pentateuch, also known as the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. After those five books, then you transition over to what they call the history books, which is the history of the church and God's people. And it's Joshua, and then it's Judges. So you have the five books, then you have Joshua and Judges. So pretty early on in the church history is the book of Judges, and that's where we're going to be landing on. Now, the book of Judges is going to show us, big picture, that we can't rely on men and women to be our Savior, which is why we need Jesus. So it's all designed and set up to show you the need for a perfect God. Now, I want to show you a phrase that appears in this book of Judges the most. And it's right up here. It appears seven times. How many times? Oh, that's going to be important. It says, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. That shows up seven times. Now, you may think on the surface, what does this have to do with me? Well, I think it has to do a lot with Christianity in the Western civilization. So let's look at this for just a moment. It doesn't say the world did evil in the sight of the Lord. What does it say? God's people did evil in the sight of the Lord. See, I'm not one of those people that gets mad at the world for acting like the world. Have you ever been in front of a preacher and like they get so angry because people that don't know the Lord act like people that don't know the Lord? What do you expect? They won't be convicted of sin until they get the Holy Spirit in them. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Not your job to walk up and try to convict them of sin. It's our job to tell them about Jesus. To tell them about the hope that is found in him and him alone. And then let the Holy Spirit do the Holy Spirit's job. So this is the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, I'm going to do something that I think is a little clever because <laughs> I impress myself on a regular basis. I, I want to show you this. I, I want to show you the ending of the book of Judges before we start at the beginning so that you can see what we're working towards. Sound good? It's kind of like a movie when they show you the ending and then they're like, now let me show you how we got there. That's what I'm going to do. Judges 21, 25, the last verse of the whole book, it says, in those days, Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. So at the very beginning, I'm going to show you that these leaders were ineffective and that the people still remained unfaithful because man and woman are not designed to be worshipped. Because man and woman are not designed to take the place of God. 
And so at the end, we're gonna find out that it didn't work. Letting you know that right now. Now let's look at this verse for just a second. It said, in those days, Israel had no king, man. It was never designed to have a king. God eventually gives them a king because sometimes if you ask, he'll give you what you want. And then don't be surprised when it doesn't work. It was designed to be a theocracy. It was designed for God to lead his people. And so it says they had no king. And so it's Israel, the people of God, did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. So on the surface, it's like, what does the book of Judges have to do with with us today, right? I, I, I would ask you, are some people in danger of not doing what the word of God says, but doing what seems right in their own eyes? If there's anything I see right now in the world, in the church, around the world, but in particular the Western church, is what do you think is right? And if what you think is right conflicts with what the word of God says, then you're gonna have a problem. And if you follow what you want, if it's contradictory to the word of God, then guess what you just did with yourself? You usurped God and put yourself on the throne. And I see this in this town. I see this on social media. I see people saying, you do what's right in your own eyes. So let me give you a couple facts. Don't worry, it's gonna end happy, all right? Some of you are like, goodness gracious, this guy's a wet blanket. Some of you are like, goodness gracious, what does that mean? (laughs) It's a good question. Facts about the book of Judges, and we're gonna do a little bit of history, all right? Because that's my jam. If you don't like it, Don't go home. Who said that? That's terrible. (laughs) Terrible. No. If you don't like it, stick around. You'll learn to love it. We should put that on our next t-shirt. Center point. If you don't like it, go home. No. No. It's terrible. That was Megan Abshire, by the way. And if you're listening to this in the future, she is a preacher's kid. So what do you expect? Facts about judges. Quickly here. The book of Judges is named after the leadership that God's going to put in place. He's going to put 11 men and one woman. By the way, we're going to be studying that woman in a couple of weeks, and she does a way better job than all the men do. I'm like, amen. But, but, but this is going to take place for over 400 years. How many years? 400 years, and it's going to start at the death of Joshua, which is what we're about to get into. So the death of Joshua, you know the, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And, 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 and then it's going to be 400 years, and it's going to take us all the way to, remember the last verse said, when Israel had no king. So it's going to take us to when they have a king. So King Saul will become the first king of Israel. And at 400 years in between, we're going to see 12 cycles of sin and rebellion. And it's all because... They made one mistake, and it's the title of my message today. They made spiritual grandchildren. Spiritual grandchildren is what we're going to be talking about today. Now, now most people believe the book of Judges was written by Samuel, the prophet Samuel. We don't know that for sure because the author doesn't identify himself. And so church tradition has always assumed that it was Samuel, believed it was Samuel, and taught it as if it was Samuel. But it's written from a, like a third-person perspective looking back. So it had to be somebody who made it through and looks back to write it. We'll be getting to that a little bit later. And, and so what happens is Joshua brings the people to the promised land, and then he dies. And not only that, pretty shortly after he dies, the high priest Eleazar, he also dies. And so what happens is is that we have 
uh, leader, Joshua, who dies, the high priest who then dies, and they didn't have any leaders behind them. Now, you could ask yourself, does that mean that the young people never stepped up into leadership or did they not pour into the next generation? The answer is probably both. And I think we can learn from this today. Now, interesting enough, at least to me, Joshua is going to lead his people to the promised land, and then he dies, and then they're going to eventually die. But he's designed to foreshadow Jesus. Jesus' name in Hebrew, Yeshua, translated in English, Joshua. And Jesus is going to lead us to the promised land, but we will live forever. And so this is all designed to foreshadow Jesus. Now, I want you to hear, it it starts off, we're going to be in chapter 2, because I just gave you all of chapter 1 in just a couple of minutes. You're welcome. Chapter 2, and we're going to start right as Joshua dies to hear what happens. So chapter 2, is a huge setup just for this. Verse 6, after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. Gerald. You still have some time. Not much, but you still have some time. If it's your first time here, you're going to know who Gerald is pretty quickly. Verse 9, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Ares in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Just insanely specific. Sometimes when you read scripture and you're like, those are really hard words to pronounce. Why they put them in there? To prove it's true for accuracy. Verse 10, this is to me the saddest scripture, possibly in the entire Bible. Listen to this. After that, whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Let that sink in for a second. That didn't take long. The leader died. The next generation didn't know anything. They were one generation away. They didn't even know it. Verse 11. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt, followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them, in particular the Canaanites, the Phoenicians as well. They aroused the Lord's anger. Now, now hold on for just a second. As we're finishing these last couple of verses, if you have kids, I want you to think of if this is the legacy that you left your children and if this is what they're going to go through after you're dead and gone. I don't want my children to arouse the anger of the Lord. Why did they arouse the anger of the Lord? Verse 13, because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. What would that be like if this is your children, your grandchildren? Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. And they were in great distress. As a father... I've been really wrestling this week with this idea as I was kind of putting the finishing touches on this message of what defines me being a successful father? 
is a successful father defined by how much money I leave them, I can pay for their college, if they're happy. Let's say I do all of those things and they grow up not knowing anything that the Lord has done and they arouse the anger of the Lord and he turns their back on them. That's heavy, man. Heavy. Now, now in this portion of scripture, let me pause to take a drink while you stare at me awkwardly. Told you. It says over there that they serve the Baals and the Ashtoreths. And, and, and on the surface, it's very easy to think, well, what does that have to do with me? Like, I don't even know what that means. It has nothing to do with, with us today or what I'm going through. And, and, and on the surface, you would probably be correct, sort of which is why it's so important to, to have what we call proper hermeneutics, just looking at scripture, author, audience, author's intent, right? And so the Baals and the Ashtoreths, what were they? They were gods, lowercase g. Baal and Asherah, whoops, I just spoiled it. Asherah, as you'll read later, is an iteration of Ashtoreth, uh, and, and that's the male and female version of the same God, the God of the Canaanites, mostly. And I have a couple artists' rendition. They didn't do great on this screen, but I'll br blame somebody else for it. Uh, there's an artist's rendition of what they would have thought Baal to have looked like. Here's an actual carving of what Baal would look like, not that one, this next one. Hard to see, but you get the point. Um, and, then, and then you have Asherah or Ashtoreth. That one right there is PG-13, boys, cover your eyes. And then the next one as well. So that's an actual sculpture found. I'm going to take that off the screen as quickly as possible before I get an email. <laughs> Baal and Ashtoreth. So if you read the Bible, a lot of times you'll see Baal and then a dash and then something else filled in after it. Those are the different iterations of Baal. Baal would just mean prosperity and good fortune. So they had a Baal God for rain. They had a Baal God for agriculture. They had a Baal God for the sun. They had all of these. So that's why it says the Baals. And then, then you have Ashtoreth, and there's Asherah. If you ever see uh, Asherah poles, if you see those sometimes in Scripture, um, and, and, and it's the female goddess of fertility. So Baal is prosperity, and Ashtoreth is sexuality. And so again, on the surface, you may think these two gods have nothing to do with society today, but let's unpack that for just a moment. If I see something, now keep in mind, this is the church, that we tend to worship without realizing that we're worshiping is the idea of prosper, prosperity and sexuality. It's this idea of, because Baal would bring the rain in an agricultural society, rain equals crops, crops equals money, money equals more land, more influence, more wealth, more power. And I see a culture that is obsessed with accumulation of goods and things and money and influence and power. And oftentimes we will raise that above everything else if you don't believe me. Ask yourself an honest question. How much do we spend on social media looking at the lives of others? or portraying as if we're something else compared to how much time we spend in prayer. Feel convicted? Good, so do I. <laughs> Welcome to the club. And, and, and then I see, I see Asherah, and I don't even think I probably have to convince you how obsessed society is today, even in the church world with sexuality. And, and, and chasing the carnal pleasures 
And if you feel it and if you desire it and if this is what you want, then do what's right in your own eyes. And we see this. So what I see is not much has changed. Worshiping Baal and, and Ashtoreth, the worship part of it, involved sexual immorality, which is hard to think that that would take place during a worship service, but that was a part of it. Ritualistic prostitution, self-mutilation, child sacrifice. In fact, if you go look through all of the different empires that would rise and fall, you see two common denominators. You see them turning their back on God, and you see the slaughter of innocent lives. Not much has changed. So what I see here is they knew better because they watched a great generation get to the promised land, man. They probably watched as babies Joshua tell the sun to stand still, and it did. I just prayed for it not to rain yesterday so I could finally get my lawn mowed, and it didn't. It rained. I didn't listen. This is the idea of spiritual grandchildren, and I want you to lean into this. There's no such thing as spiritual grandchildren in the kingdom of heaven, only sons and daughters. So we need to recognize that we're always only one generation away from them not knowing. Can I show you something? This is a sermon prop, but I'm gonna use real people. I need somebody to play the part of God. Gerald, would you come up here, please? It's more like a Methuselah or a Moses, but we'll. First service, he literally stepped right up here like it was nothing. I was like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. My goodness. Let's see, Cassidy, will you come up here, please? I know, I know, this is on the fly. Yeah, come on up. You're gonna play the part of my daughter because you eat a lot of my food and they're at my house all the time, so <laughs> be careful. All right, now it took you, it took you, you had a little more difficulty getting up on stage than Gerald did, but that's all right. I want you to stand right here. I need both of you to slide over so we're in the lights. It's called show business, all right? So here's what I want to show you, a visual of spiritual grandchildren and what we can be in danger of without even realizing it, okay? So as promised, Gerald is going to play the part of God. Cassidy is playing the part of one of my children. And, and, and here's what we do without knowing it. Is you and I, we talk to God. And then we tell our children what God says. We spend time with God. Then we tell our children what we read as we spend time with God. We do our quiet time in a room by ourselves with our kids not around. And then we think that our kids are just going to watch us and they're just going to know what we do. But, but what we see here is, is that simply living it is not enough. Have you ever had somebody... And if it's you, don't raise your hand. It's rhetorical. But if you had somebody and, and they raise their kids in church and then the kid leaves the home and they go wild and you, ask, and then you hear them say, I don't understand why they're acting this way. This wasn't the house they were raised in. And those are good points. But here's probably what happened is for your kid to have a relationship with God, it's got to come through you. So when you're not there, God's not there. So at some point, what we have to do is... 
have our children have a relationship with God. And then we're behind now in a supportive role. And then when they start to kind of fall, no, no, you stay there. And then when they want to sleep in on a Sunday, it's like, no, 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 we go to church on a Sunday. And when they want to play travel baseball because they're going to make the pros on a Sunday, and we say, no, you're going to be at church. And as long as she is under my influence, which means I'm paying her bills, But you know what we do sometimes? Well, I don't want to force them. So now that they're 16, if they don't want to go to church, then they're one generation away. One generation away. All right, give it up for our sermon props. Nice job. Have you ever had somebody who left the church because there was not enough people their age there. And it's usually not young people complaining about older people. It's usually older people complaining about all the young people. There's just not very many people my age there. It's full of young people and they're worshiping their guts out while the music is just too loud. I need to go somewhere else. Really? That's one of the church being full of young people, a problem. If you think this church is a geriatric cruise ship for you, you're in the wrong place. Because we're one generation away. I don't want spiritual grandchildren. I want sons and daughters. Have you ever had somebody... I just don't like the direction that this church is going. Oh, cool, is it growing? Yeah, but I don't like it. You know what's funny, man? Corlette told me this. Sometimes, man, God moves and he doesn't ask my permission. Sometimes he doesn't stop and say, now, Jason, here's what I'm thinking of doing and it's gonna reach a lot of young people. Are you okay with that? Spiritual grandchildren do not belong in the kingdom of heaven. Sons and daughters Judges 2.16. So what happens now? They turn their backs, and it says, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Did you hear that? So God raises military heroes. He raises them up to deliver his people. Now, now, now it's, it's pretty easy to, to read that. And to read that scripture and you're like, why is God so mean, man? If these are his kids, why would he let the raiders come in and plunder them? Why would he allow them to be sold into slavery if these are his kids? And, 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 and I think it's a decent point, but you have to ask yourself, what is the motivation? The motivation is to bring them back to repentance. Sometimes you do what you want to do. And God's giving you free will to let it happen. And then when you fall into the mess that you made, you're like, God, why would you allow this to happen? Sometimes he gives you what you asked for. But these plunders, these raiders, these people that came in, they, they weren't for punishment. They weren't for guilt or shame. It was to bring them back closer to him. It's actually mercy. It would have been unmerciful to let them continue in the sin cycle for generations. Sometimes God will bring a storm into your life to bring you back close to him again. So we actually see 12 judges. How many? 
12, whenever you see 12 in Scripture, almost whenever you see 12 in Scripture, it's referring to man. How many tribes? 12. How many disciples? 12. How many judges? 12. So as you're doing this Bible reading plan, you're going to start seeing the number 12 pop up in Scripture. It's not a quinky dink. It's an inspired word of God from start to finish, or so I say. If you'll put up these 12 judges, there's going to be a test after, not just to have them memorized, but pronounce them all phonetically correctly. So good luck to you. I love this sermon art, by the way. It's just funny to me. Anyways, uh, if you'll look, you're going to be like, bro, you messed up on this. What kind of teacher are you? Some of these are in caps. and some. Well, hold on now. First of all, just calm your judgment for just a moment, all right? But, but there's a reason for this, is they are, there are six major judges and six minor judges, six major and six minor. It's just like how there's some major prophets and minor prophets later in the Old Testament, and I, I want you to think of it not through the lids of major means major leagues, and they're the important ones. That's not how, what it means. What it means is the ones who are majors have more literary real estate, meaning we know more in the book about them. For some reason or another, God chose to write more about some people's stories than others, and so that's why we call them major. So, so even with the prophets, the major prophets, they're longer, and the minor prophets are shorter. And so you have those friends that send you text messages, and some of them are major texters, and some of them are minor texters. You know what I mean? Ladies, major texters. So we're not going to be going through all of these, but we are going to spend the next three weeks going through some of them, uh, and I think you're going to enjoy it. We will not be going through number two, Ehud or Ehud. Uh, because just a couple of weeks ago, or a couple months ago, I preached on him. That's pretty awesome. And so I spent an entire one. It, it's like uh, James Bond versus Jabba the Hutt is really what this story is. Go back. Last I checked, Steve, we had like 34 views on it on YouTube. I mean, I don't mean, I don't mean to brag. That's that's an objective statement, though. Uh, yes, thank you for clapping. Uh, but if you want to go back and watch that, my mom said it was a fantastic message. So I think, I think you'll gr- agree. So I, I want to show you, though, what, what this means is, is that we had 12 different times that they had an opportunity for repentance and to be brought back to the Lord over 400 years. Yet, we're going to see this cycle. Rebellion. Judgment. Cry out for mercy. A judge rises up. Delivers their people. They go back to the life that they had. Time goes by. And habitual sin creeps back in. Callousness to the things of God starts to build up again. And they go back to the life that they were of rebellion and forgot what God had done for them. And it starts over again. Twelve times four hundred years now. If we take just a moment to be honest with ourselves, this is kind of the life cycle of our spiritual life if we're not careful. is We start doing what we want to do. We start accepting what we used to not to accept. We start have calluses where we don't even hear the Holy Spirit anymore. We justify habitual sin and then it leads to the place that sin leads, which is death, destruction, and making everyone's lives caused cause pain in everyone's lives, and and, and that's what happens. And then we cry out for mercy. God gives us grace and mercy. And then when things get good again, 
I see this with church attendance all the time. In the moment that your marriage is a problem, at the moment that someone in your life dies, at the moment you lose your job, you are here because you're desperate for God. And then eventually you get used to it and I don't see you as much. I ask you, are we raising spiritual grandchildren or sons and daughters? So let's jump back in, verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. That's a, that's a big statement. Saying, no, no, you belong to this person, yet you're giving yourself away to something else. They quickly turned off from the ways of their ancestors who had been caught in who had been in obedience to the Lord's commands. Verse 18, whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to the ways even more corrupt than their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices in stubborn ways. Now, I promised you that this would end with optimism. Because if there's one thing that sums up the book of Judges that we're going to see over the course of the next few weeks is this. A faithful God versus unfaithful people. A faithful God versus unfaithful people. This is the theme of the book of Judges. And this is the theme of Jason's life. Of somebody who is constantly pulled back into unfaithfulness, yet a God who never gives up on me. A man who did everything he could to try to mess up every area of his life, yet when he surrendered, man, God was there. This is the story of my life. A faithful God. Even there are times where I was unfaithful. And it may be the story of your life. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1 9. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Look at that. Who has called you? See, God's faithfulness does not waver because it's bound up in his character. It is who he is. It's why it is not natural. It is supernatural. It is it's the love of God. He hears the cries for mercy from people who know they are broken. It got to the point in Judges for them to realize they were broken and that they needed a Savior, and that's when he answered every time. But you know what stops us from realizing we're broken? Pride. Self-sufficiency. Psalms 34, 17. When the righteous cry out for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. See, God will not abandon his people. I, I want to show you, we've got two more verses. And this is in Isaiah. And this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah to people 
who are doing what this continued to do. It's being unfaithful, having somebody come in and attack them. And as God is calling them back to repentance, they're doing what you and I do where we're like, we're talking ourselves out of it. Like, I don't really deserve this. I've done too much. I've just, God really doesn't want to talk to me today. And listen to what he says, Isaiah 65, 24. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Translated, that says, while it's still in their heart, before they've even verbalized it, I will hear it. Before the sentence calling out for me is even over, I will answer. Some of you have done some terrible things. Yet I will answer. When they cry out, I will hear their voice. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11. Is it 11? For I know the plans I have for you. Of course it is. I have the Bible memorized. We, 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 we talk about that verse a lot, and it's a great verse. I love that verse. I think somebody in here has that tattooed somewhere on their body. I don't know how I know that, but I do. And it's a great verse. But there's two other verses after it that are fantastic, and they get no press because 29.11 makes its way to all of canvases on Hobby, at Hobby Lobby. And, and I want you to hear this. It's kind of like I love John 3.17 but none of you know John 3.17 because John 3.16 was written by Tim Tebow and you all have it memorized. But John 3.17 says, for I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And, and as a tangent, that's not in the notes. You're welcome. But, but I want you to hear the other two verses after Jeremiah 29.11. The other two, this is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah to people who have been unfaithful and God is calling them back. God is saying, I am here for you. God is saying, I listen. Listen to this. He says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. It has nothing to do with what you deserve. That's the beauty of it. Have you ever felt I, left, I let God down? <laughs> what makes you think you were holding him up to begin with? Let me ask you a question, those of you that have children. What's your response when your child calls out for help and you know what that voice sounds like that's different than when they need something? You hear in their voice that they need their mommy or they need their daddy and they call out. You know what that's like. And what would you do? You would go running every time. Despite their behavior, despite their actions, despite if their room is dirty, you would go running if your child wasn't help. Why? Needed help. Why? Because that's who you are. How much greater is the love of our Father who will always answer the calls for help from His children? And that's worth celebrating.